And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Ryan Oliver. And I'm Chris Thomas. Oh, hey. How's it going, Chris? <laughs> it's going all right. It's uh, <laughs> it's 10.30 at night here. Uh, and I'm uh, yeah. a beer deep, so I'm getting a little loopy, as you can tell from the introduction, but uh, looking forward to uh, another episode, another relaxed episode uh, with not so much research uh, behind it or anything. Like, we research these anyways, but... We, I, we do our best. Mm. We do our best. But with the time allotted, yes. Yes, but sometimes our best is kind of just eh. So <laughs> whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. It's 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 been a long day. But I'm happy to get back on mic. But yeah, we are definitely a little little loopy. I've had a little whiskey and I have a beer as well. So um, yeah, let's do New it. Episode. Fuck yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> as we talked about last week, um, we're gonna just kind of dive into. Some of the movies in October and early November, since you will be listening to this episode on November 12th, um, that we wanted to talk about um, last month that we never really got a chance to. Um, so we're just going to dedicate our time to that. And like we discussed, uh, the three we're going to be talking about largely here are Dune, the latest from Dene Villeneuve, The French Dispatch, the latest Wes Anderson film, and Last Night in Soho, which is the latest Edgar Wright film. Um, but we'll start with the, uh, what is the highest grossing one so far at the first one of the three to come out and the one that most people are talking about, which is Dune. Mm -hmm. Um, this is the second feature length, uh, I guess half a feature length adaptation of Frank Herbert's novel. Uh, it was previously adapted by David Lynch in 1984, a movie I'm partial to, um, but is not conventionally good, Mm -hmm. I would say. Sure. Um, and that, of course, came in the wake of, of Alejandro Jodorowsky's failed um, <laughs> attempt to bring it to the screen, uh, as chronicled by the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune. Um, but I will kick it over to you, Chris. I know when we talked about our mid-year, um, like mid-year catch-up, and we kind of laid some of the movies that we were most excited for for the rest of 2021. I'm pretty sure Dune was our mutual, or at least it was your most anticipated, oh, yeah. I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so what, uh, and I know we talked about Blade Runner 2049 in an mm-hmm. episode. We've talked about Denis Villeneuve in the past. Um, how did you feel about this movie and did it, did it live up to all that you had hoped? No, I, but I don't think it's fair to say. I, I, I mean, uh, Denis Villeneuve to me is a, is a director that's batting a thousand. I've seen, I don't think all of his movies, but I've seen most and, of them i've i've uh, either loved or very much liked all of them and i think dune still falls into that category i think i went into it with unrealistic uh, unrealistic expectations uh based off of his you know um his sequel to blade runner um which i adore uh and expecting to see that sort of applied here but then also coming in 
pretty much blind on on Dune, having not read the 1965 Frank Herbert novel. Um, and so having bits and pieces of it, uh, of an understanding, I was really hoping to be introduced to the world uh, via, you know, Denise uh, touch as a director. And I think we have a mutual uh, sort of uh, gripe in that it is part one of two. And so it it's an incomplete story which is frustrating but i think what we're presented with here is still some of the best sci-fi presentation that you, anyone could hope for um i i think visually um and uh sound editing wise and uh and also mm -hmm. the score um all of those elements uh, together even if there wasn't a story it's still a, a, a smorgasbord there's so much to take in uh, especially i saw it in an imax presentation uh and it was great I, I'm I'm envious because I I missed my shot to see it in IMAX. I saw it in a regular uh, showing, and and granted, you know, I'm not gonna you know, uh, I'm not going to sniff at the privilege because I did get to see it in advance. So hey, beggars can't be choosers, right? So, um, but I missed my chance to see it in IMAX. Of course, you know, given just the sheer amount of movies that came out this month and a half, so. I was trying to, any time I had, I was trying to see the things I hadn't seen yet. Um, but I, um, I'm right there with you. I've warmed up to the movie because I left the theater feeling pretty like, I mean, I was impressed undoubtedly. I think the, the sheer scale of this thing, the sheer technical qualities, like you said, this, the sound, uh, Greg Frazier's cinematography, Hans Zimmer's score is, you know, the embodiment of that uh, piano on fire meme that you see going around. Yeah. Like it, it is that <laughs> it is, it is phenomenal. Um, Zimmer even turned down doing the score for Tenet and he does pretty much all Nolan's movies. And he's like, no, I got the opportunity to work on Dune. I'm busy. Right. Yeah. Um, like I guess even Hans Zimmer even kind of admitted himself. Cause he also did the score for no time to die, which we mm -hmm. talked about on an episode. I liked the score. I thought it was good not his best and even he was like yeah i kind of wrote it like really quick because i was doing tune <laughs> yeah so you could tell and, and it shows it yeah. shows in, in 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 every single note of that score so um that's incredible um i like a lot of the performances in the movie mm -hmm. i was unsure i'm not to sound like a contrarian i'm just not totally on like the timothy chalamet like train like i think he's a good actor but i just i don't quite get like the fascination but i liked him much more than i thought as mm -hmm. paul atreides i thought he was really good um i think hands down the best performance for me is uh rebecca ferguson as lady mm -hmm. jessica i thought was fantastic like everyone across the board i think is really strong in this movie jason momoa even who i'm generally like I like as a personality, but as an actor, I'm not sure of. He's great as Duncan Idaho, yeah. like, like actually having fun. Which that's he's one of the only actors who are actually having fun in this movie, yeah. and that's like if if you're familiar with Villeneuve's work, it's very much fitting in that like it's the movie is dour, it's somber, like there there's there's no real like fun spark of fun. Right. Like it's fun from like watching such stellar filmmaking, but like the movie's not fun I it's not say. a marvel uh, cinematic universe movie where they're like quipping and and, and like yeah, bringing no. levity to it no but it's 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 such uh but but i just i think i left cold even though i love the sort of like um sort of like 
I don't know, like the 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 midsection on where it becomes much more psychedelic and much more sort yeah. of like visually told. I liked a lot of that, but it was just sort of like it was one of those where it's like when I when I got to a certain point in it, I was like, oh crap! Like I didn't even check my watch at all. Like I just didn't do that during the movie because I was engaged. But I was like, this is this is about where it's going to end, mm. isn't it? And then then sure enough that's about exactly where the movie ended so i was a little cold on it but i i have rewatched it the one and a half more times mm. thanks to it being on hbo max yeah. so the accessibility of being able to go back and watch it again and i've really been able to pick up the pieces more and i just think it's yeah it's i think it's an incredible feat and and you know i don't put a lot of stock in awards but i'd be shocked if it doesn't sweep at least every technical award oh, yeah. to to be had because it's just um it's just stellar and and i i think maybe its greatness probably won't even really for me show until we see that part two of the story and how that unfolds um but if it's anything like this one i i i can't wait for it and i i think also the dune as far as like people who i've spoken to who have read dune or have read the entire dune series which is Mm -hmm. that's as far as i understand it's incredibly dense. I've heard it uh, def- uh, referred to as basically like the Bible of sci-fi stories. Um, yes. It, it, also, the definition of the unfilmable or unadaptable. Yes, exactly. Book. Uh, yeah. And and I mean, people said the same thing about Lord of the Rings, and you know, Peter Jackson, you know, showed them. So I, I think this. I, I even commented when I was leaving the theater that. I haven't felt the the sort of sense of wonder and uh, uh, the a real feeling of being transported into a new universe since first seeing uh, the Fellowship of the Ring uh, back when I saw that in a the theater when I was just a young kid. The uh, there's a lot of expositional dialogue and stuff that happens that's sort of front loaded in the first portion of the movie. And by first portion, I mean the first like fifty minutes to an hour. There's quite a bit that they're having to ramble out and, and, and get you through to, to get you grounded in there. But I could forgive it because I knew sort of how dense the text is that he's having to work with here. And he, you, you have to get the audience to understand what is going on here. You can't show um, but not tell if your script is 600 pages. Like, you got you got to get it out. So yep. I thought that there were some really smart techniques that were used in terms of um, and I asked a friend of mine who I went with who has read the Dune series, and, and he was talking about how um, Atreides is, like, watching informational videos that are explaining the world around him. And he's like, that's not in the book. Uh, he wasn't doing that shit. And so it made sense for their, for him to, as a, like, a young, you know, uh, prince or whatever he is, like, in his, you know, his family, he needs to learn these things in order to be a diplomat. So it makes sense to introduce these things to him, and then by proxy, the audience can learn through Atreides about the world. Um, I liked the way that those were presented and they were presented in a way that they were paced out and it didn't feel like they were just like shoving a bunch of shit down your throat to get you caught up. Uh, it felt yes. paced enough to where when they started being revealed or brought back in later in the movie, it felt natural to be like, oh, I learned this at the same point that Atreides did and now we get to see how he deals with it. Exactly. And and it makes it something that like, because it, it is tough to adapt it. And, and, and similarly, I've not read the book. I mean, I'm familiar with the original story, right. you know, having watched the documentary on Neil Raskey's film, having watched the David Lynch version. So it's like, I'm familiar with the story. But I would say also much similarly, if, if you are not, if you've not read the book, you know, we, we talked back on our episode, where we talked about Blade Runner 2049, where like that movie 
enriches its predecessor. Mm. This movie also, I think, because I went back yesterday, I didn't get a chance because it it's too long. I didn't get a chance to rewatch all of the David Lynch one, but I started uh, rewatching some of it in, in anticipation of this conversation. And it's like, this movie makes that movie, like, understandable. Okay. Like, because this movie is so accessible, like, and actually can, like, get someone who isn't familiar with it into the world and understand the story. So all the stuff that I was like, wait, what the hell was going on? Like, I actually, like, understood because of this movie now. It's, <laughs> oh, okay, now I get why these things are happening. So now we're going to we're gonna get a resurgence in, in uh, uh, David Lynch Dune fans that are going to come out after watching the na- latest Dune. And I actually prefer the David Lynch Dune movie. I, I like, it's weirder. It's, it's oh, definitely mean, weirder. It <laughs> well, I mean, but even then, and it's more like kind of grotesque and, and, uh, it, 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 the main villain is someone who's not even in this movie. It, mm. It's uh, Fade Ratha, uh, who's, I, I guess, to my knowledge, pretty, I wouldn't say inconsequential, but it's not a big part in the book. But in the Lynch version, he's played by Sting, so he therefore got a bigger yeah. uh, part. That's right. <laughs> but, um, no, I, 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 I've always liked the Lynch one, but like I, I actually understood it more watching this one. That's really uh, interesting. The Lynch one all... Lynch one also got a new 4K from Arrow Video. I saw so that. Yeah, check it out. Go out and buy yeah. it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's worth it. But I mean, speaking of the villains, I love the design of the Harkonnens. Um, yes, specifically uh, Stellan Skarsgård's uh, uh, Baron um, mm-hmm. of just being—he's basically a hedonism bot from Futurama, but like a, a person. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I I loved him. He, he's like I mean, Stellan Skarsgård is an amazing villain uh, every time that he gets to play that role. So I, I was just glad to see him pop up and be like, "Cool, awesome, Stellan back in a, a, a vicious role." Um, but I love the design of him uh, being so lazy and his legs all atrophied that he has like that floating device. But, like, it yep. just makes him move in a really creepy, odd way. Um, and, and, like, all the scenes that they shot, uh, like, on their planet where, like, it's all brutalist architecture, uh, cold white lights and blue lights and stuff. Like, it, it looked very just dour and, and just overbearing. And I, I loved every scene with the Harkonnens. Yeah, I did too. And 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 Arrakis as well. Like, I love the architecture of Arrakis and, like, really indicative of, like, the pyramids. Yeah. And, um, like I loved all that. I love the sort of like, you know, it's in the year, what, 10,031. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I like, but I like that, um, that sort of like high tech, low tech mixture of like, here's like classical architecture with like new tech. Um, like I really, I, I, I like that. I love like the, the production design, the costume design, like all of that. Do I you know why they have the high tech, low tech? Uh, in in universe like the in universe explanation for why, I should but I don't. I know. asked my buddy after we went and saw it. So like it, it they talk about it briefly in Dune, but apparently at some point, uh, they had created an AI that basically made Skynet, and they had a war with the machines and the humans won, and because the humans won and they didn't want to do it again, they basically outlawed AI. So, like, there are no thinking computers, which is why there are, like, the, the dudes with the little black uh, tattoo on their lips who are super yeah. smart and they're able to compute. Those dudes smoke a whole bunch of spice, which, like, opens up their minds or whatever, and they're able to do computational mathematics in their brains. 
And so then mm-hmm. they don't have to rely on computers to do it. So that's why everything is all manual. That's why people are using swords and shit. It's because they fucking had a battle with Skynet. That's like, great. That's dope. So that's why the spice must flow. Um, <laughs> and like just cool but, shit. And like they're talking about yeah. how like deep space travel is only possible because of spice. And it's not because they use spice to power their engines. It's because the people who are working on navigation smoke a bunch of spice and then they're able to charter a path that's not going to run them into black holes or into stars or into like obstructions because they're high as shit. So like they have to just feed their spice up to a bunch of drug addicts who can pilot their ships from one point in space to another. It's great. It's brilliant. It's crazy <laughs> as fuck. I, it, it just leaving the theater, I was just like, ah, fuck. Like I okay, I need to finally just sit down and read Dune. I, I've always me too. Just put it off because I'm not like a, a huge sci-fi fan who like I've talked about before. But then like every once in a while, there's a story that's cool enough, like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, like Dune, like Dark City, something that comes along that I'm just like, okay, like you're scratching an itch that I I can't just leave it alone. Yeah, I need to finally read it. I said I was going to read it before this movie, and I had extra time because this movie was delayed mm-hmm. for over a year because of the pandemic, and I didn't. So maybe, maybe before, maybe before part two comes out in two years, I will finally have read the book. I've heard if you're into audiobooks, the audiobook for Dune is fantastic, where they like include yep. uh, like sound effects and uh, different uh, voice actors to do the characters and stuff. Apparently, the Dune. Uh, if you have not had the time to read it and you don't want to read it. Uh, give it a listen. Apparently, it's it's phenomenal. Awesome. I'm gonna have to do it that way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, any other thoughts on Dune? Should we move on to to our next? Uh, they uh, they greenlit it, and then apparently uh, Denis Villeneuve said came uh, like came out and said that he they're gonna start uh, filming again in July uh, 2022. So after post production, probably won't see anything until 2024, late 2024. I, I, oh no, 2023 is the really 2023 is the release date. October. I, whatever the same weekend it came out wow uh, 2023 well yep. good luck Denis. I'm, I'm very excited to see what you're able to pull together yeah me too um and yeah i i it's it's a movie that i think is going to grow on me and and i i last thing i wanted to say is it already has and mm. i i had to even when i left the theater a little cool on the movie i had to even acknowledge because i left blade runner 2049 fairly cool mm-hmm. if you remember talking about that in that episode and i was like now i adore the movie so i'm like i think that my time with this movie is not done i just was a little i, I didn't know it's what a to, lot to digest it, it, like, it's it a lot really it is, is a lot. And, and you're right like yep. after you sit and kind of like really let it sink in like on, on the whole it's a lot of information so like on a brief reflect you can't remember all of it but then like especially yep. sitting like this in, in this um this scenario and like talking it out about all the things that you like and shit you're like man I liked all of it. <laughs> and there's a lot yeah. of it, and I liked all of it. Me too. And I want more of it. Yeah. And fortunately, we are going to get more of it. So that's that's good. Great. Thanks, Warner um, Brothers. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's, well, it's their only semi-successful financially movie from uh, 2021. Until Matrix the, 4. The, yeah, pro- I mean... Probably. Probably, I gotta imagine if if it's even worth its salt, like it'll be yeah. it'll be good, um, and like it'll make good money. But I think Godzilla versus Kong, and um, Conjuring the Devil made me do it. Oh, right. were the only ones that were like successful, and Conjuring three even made like considerably less than the others. They just don't cost a lot of money, so right. it still was successful. Um, but uh, a movie that is 
somewhat financially successful. Um, not as much as you know back back in the yesteryear, mm-hmm. but it held very well in its second weekend in wide release. Like dropped like three percent, which in the pandemic age, pretty unheard of. So I, I give credit where yeah. credits due. Um, and that's the French Dispatch, the latest film from Wes Anderson, um, which I think was also a very anticipated movie for the two of us. Um, yeah, I'll kick it once again to you. Uh, French Dispatch, uh, I think we should say up front, we're, we're not going to spoil it, no. but, um, but if you haven't seen the movie, and it's not a detriment, but just fair warning, because both Chris and I did not know this, mm-hmm. the movie is an anthology. Uh, I had no idea that it was an anthology movie going into it. Nope. Um, so I guess with that in mind, what were your, how did you feel about French Dispatch? I'm, I'm hesitant to say that I loved it, but after a brief conversation, I could probably get talked into that position. Um, oh, wow. All right. I, Wes Anderson is hit or miss for me, but like when he misses, it's not like too far off the mark. Like I, I would say like the movies of, of Wes Anderson's, I'm not like too high and mighty on or probably like life aquatic, uh, or, Same. uh, moonrise kingdom, uh, where like mm-hmm. it just didn't quite rise to that level. But then you know, the ones that I do like legitimately love, like grand Budapest hotel, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, uh, bottle rocket Rushmore. Um, I feel like there are, enough flashes here in this movie and and i think it's it it might be you know due to the fact that it is an anthology versus a whole story um that there's enough that keeps coming at you that you can really enjoy and then you're on to the next thing on to the next thing on to the next thing but then there's this 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 really solid through line of uh i said it right before we jumped on to record that this is the most wes anderson movie that's ever wes anderson where like he's 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 pumping everything up to an 11 and like it starts with that um shot of the serving tray before the server goes up the stairs um the, the comical scooby-doo stairs where he's like jump cutting to different windows as he makes his way up the staircase but that shot of them loading up the tray with the different things he's going to be taking to the different writers and it just like turns slightly on a lazy susan and everything is just perfectly framed as they're stracking all the and it's like starting with that level of like cartoonish um framing and just meticulous in the way that the shot is constructed i was like okay like you are immediately setting a precedent for the rest of the movie that is just going to be like this and it was like they they never yeah. moved away from it and i from just a straight technical level adored it from beginning to end uh story-wise they're hit or miss of course as they usually are with anthologies but on on face value i had a great fucking time yeah, I had a really good time with the movie as well. And and, and yes, technically, I I would agree. I mean, it, it's very Wes Anderson-y and, and very much indicative of like, or, or a continuation, I guess, of like Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. Um, and and by, by that, I mean like just how meticulous it is and how like, you know, like you said, that opening shot uh, of them going up through the stairs. And then you have like the... the um, Owen Wilson's character on the bicycle yeah. and like that whole like sequence. And so it's just like, so you have that, you also have a continuous shifting of aspect ratio, which is what grand Budapest hotel also did though. Grand Budapest hotel. I'm not saying it doesn't do it good here. It just grand Budapest hotel was like kind of zeroing in and like, it was like a purpose, like where like grand Budapest hotel was like, okay, here's your present day, but here's kind of like, we're honing into the past 
and the stories we tell and then so it's like we're literally like zeroing in on it and so that's right. where it went into more of a four three well and it this one's kind of like period too so like the, exactly like the standard for the time period was this yeah. aspect ratio and this one's kind of like all over the place mm-hmm. in terms of like choosing when and where and like even like the subtitles like sometimes they're on the bottom yep. sometimes they're on the right sometimes they're like all over the place but well, and mediums um, too they, they go to animation at, at one point yes yeah in the third story yeah. um which might be my favorite story. Either the first or the third story yeah. are my favorite. The second one's solid, but it's it's my, my least favorite of the three, probably. Sure. Um, and no, that's not just because it's the Timothy Chalamet <laughs> one. <laughs> who who re- he's good in this movie, his ugly too. Head. <laughs> no, he's good in this. He's good in this. Um, but um, no, I think the movie is a lot of fun. And I think if I recalibrated my expectations a little bit to it being an anthology, I would probably like get to it a little more, like a little mm. bit more. And mm-hmm. I forgive me, I forget the name of the editor that Bill Murray's character is supposed to like be based on. But I think it's like largely riffing on the New Yorker. I yeah. think that the this, that's I guess we didn't set up the French Dispatch is a newspaper in in a fictional. Uh, it's an American ran newspaper in a fictional French city right and so i think it's largely based on that uh that which also i mean that just sounds very wes anderson-y in and of itself but it's sort of a love letter to like not journalism as a whole um because contemporary journalism we all have our field but writers writers like people who are actually like doing the work and Mm -hmm. like telling the story and um like it's pretty beautiful and i think it finally like and i think maybe that's why i love the third story so much and i'm not gonna you know get into any spoilers but i'll just say the third story probably ties back into the wraparound better than the first two stories and so it 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 gives you that sort of like connection to like okay what this is why we're here and it's sort of sneaky honestly and and uh i was like wow um and and wes anderson's super good at doing that Mm -hmm. of like especially if we're going with the extension of grand budapest where like grand budapest is like you know it's it's a farce like right it's it's a zany comedy but it's like there's in that wes anderson way there's a ton of melancholy underneath it it's like wartime there's like you know political aspects to it and so like and that's very much this movie of like there's all these stories but it's also like a zany farce at the same time. Oh, yeah. But he can disarm he can disarm you with like the most like touching moment like out of nowhere, and you're just like you feel it. Oh yeah. So well, like uh, it's it's funny. I think um, he's always dealt with. I mean, even in Grand Budapest, it was told during the time like it was during wartime. So there's always yep. like a, a like a heavy story element that's sort of lurking in the background, and he he carries that throughout here, where like in the first story. Um, it's Benicio del Toro's prisoner, yeah. artist prisoner. Yeah, he's the prisoner. So he's he's like a multiple murderer who like uh, killed a bunch of people like in a bar fight, um, and then he's arrested, treated as an insane person. He actually is an insane person in a hilarious um, shot that I won't give away. But there's a shot where they talk about his psychosis that like I like busted up laughing. Um, so funny, but like. <laughs> dealing with mental illness and then like imprisonment for life and then uh the the industry coming in and sort of taking the art away from the artist and exploiting uh, a man who's suffering for his art and then the second one is about like violent revolution against a tyrannical government and uh uh, uh martyrdom and then the third one is uh i mean there's uh, crime going on but then also sort of like this understanding of like a greater sense of self and a, and a sense of life and a sense of purpose so like they're they're bigger headier topics but they're told through a cartoon 
It's basically yes. adult cartoons is what Wes Anderson is doing here. And, and like when you sort of understand that and you can get in on the joke, it makes the movie so much more enjoyable. I agree. I think the best thing that has happened to the, his this stage in his career is actually having done cartoons or mm-hmm. a, a, animation. But like, because one of my favorite straight up is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes. Like to me, like I I adore that movie. Like not just for its stop motion animation and how impeccably crafted it is, but it's also like it's it's like the apex of the like dysfunctional family uh portion of his career oh, yeah. of like you know of Royal Tenenbaums, uh, Life Aquatic, and. Darjeeling Limited and and like really coalesces with that movie but like I really have loved the tone he's picked up with like the last couple movies and how he's like kind of ran with that sort of like political undertones like you know a movie I think both you and I really liked I know people had their contentions with it but Iowa Dogs as well I was gonna I was say Iowa like, Dogs yeah I was a huge fan of that movie and so well um, also that I, meticulous I, nature that he introduced in Iowa Dogs like the the scene of yes. the the uh, sushi guy like chopping up all the shit where they had to hand animate that shit and it took him like a month to make that one like 30 second scene in the movie because how meticulous yes. it was and so like you see that copied over here into live action and you can see he's sort of like even at this stage in his career, after he's had a long, very successful and storied career, he's still adding tools in his tool belt. And it's honestly really yep. impressive. Agreed. And if nothing else, speaking of Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, I, I too, am not going to give away the, the shot, but I, I, I suffice it to say, I don't think it's spoiler to say, Benicio Del Toro basically does the, the Fantastic Mr. Fox, like, grunt or mm-hmm. growl. <laughs> and it's... It made me laugh yeah. every single time that it happened. Benicio Del Toro. It's so good. I mean, I, I love that story. Benicio Del Toro does excellent in that role as well. Um, yes. And um, I was going to say as well, can we please have Jeffrey Wright in, in more movies? He's so good in this movie. He's, He's so fucking great. I mean, I, I first saw him, of course, like a lot of people saw him probably in uh, the Westworld HBO series um mm-hmm. and well casino royale and casino royale and and um, well no time to die that we saw him earlier which oops yep. uh, but then the he's when he's given time to just be uh a, a, like a dry straight sort of observer of the world he's got like a great um like dulcet tone voice uh like it, he works so well in a voice over narrative character in this movie yes that i i was like mesmerized by the third story more than anything else just because of the way that he was able to very confidently carry it forward and i was just like mm-hmm. shit dude jeffrey wright needs to be in more movies he does i had like two beers at the the brewery before going to the movie but when he came on i felt like i needed a cup of coffee to be watching it like it just <laughs> it felt like right but he's he's fantastic like i if, if the year ended today he's a, a supporting actor vote for me for seattle film critic society like he's fantastic in the movie and i mean i i don't want the end game to be uh you know just big franchises but he is playing commissioner gordon next in in matt reeves the batman oh yeah so there's at least that so i mean i was gonna see the movie anyway so now i'm just more excited <laughs> i think he'll be great i think he's actually i i see i can see him like it when when they cast him as as commissioner gordon i'm like yeah that makes sense i make buy sense. that yeah 100 I mean, yeah he's got the attitude he's got the, he's got the he's able to carry himself as that like older story but like he'll beat your ass <laughs> if you cross him yes. sort of a sort of like commanding presence so i'm very excited to see him in that but I, I think 
I, I don't know if it is a detriment going into the movie knowing it's an anthology or not. I, I honestly don't know if that would have tainted my uh, my viewing. I hope it doesn't taint any of our listeners' viewing of the movie. But I, I absolutely 100% cannot recommend more go and watch the movie. Because, I mean, at the very least, it, it's visually a great time. Absolutely. And, and if you feel safe and comfortable doing so, watching it in a theater is definitely the way to mm-hmm. go, 100%. Um, and damn, I now I just want to watch it again. After talking it through, I'm like, you know what? I think this is another one that I think could grow on me Like the more I think about it. It already has. Yeah. Uh, it's really it's really charming. Um, and like you said, even the movies in Wes Anderson's that haven't hit for me, it's like he's such a idiosyncratic, like clear like vision that it's like, I've at least enjoyed the movies or like I've just been like, you know, okay, this one's like a lesser one, but it's still, yeah, I think this movie's a ton of fun. People should definitely check it out. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, so I guess we'll get into it. Uh, you and I are both sort of lukewarm on this one. I'll let you start this one. Uh, Ryan, oh. what do you think about Edgar Wright's last night in Soho? Oh, thank you. Thank you for the honors. <laughs> and, and I should also say if, if, you know, this is one of those, I, I don't want to, speak out of turn but it is a focus features which means it's universal which mm-hmm. means i'm pretty sure it's one of those after 17 days it'll be a 1999 rental so mm-hmm. if you don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable going to the theater or you're like i don't have the time this one's probably coming to you pretty soon uh because it did not open super well mm-hmm. um unfortunately um i say unfortunately even though i was a little lukewarm on the movie as chris said but i root for edgar wright so and and original movies original movies yeah. uh, so i i am disheartened that the movie didn't do so well but i understand a little bit at the same time um you know edgar wright uh as a filmmaker i know you and i are both fans of but for me i've it's weird to say i just i've not been crazy about his two departures from like straight comedy Mm. um you know i love the cornetto trilogy like dearly i love all three of them um i revisit the world's end probably like once a year since it's come out that one's like really grown on me it's my favorite at least the the deeper like one of the three even though they're all great i love scott pilgrim versus the world um baby driver wasn't crazy about you and i saw that together when you still lived in seattle area um well made technically edited soundtrack all the like all the stuff you would expect from edgar wright in that way great but the script just felt like a first draft Mm -hmm. like it was a pretty generic like one last job movie to to me just just shot and edited in a way that was at least exciting Mm -hmm. but just kind of fell flat from the script last night in soho the script is also probably the weakest element here Mm -hmm. um I think it's better than Baby Driver. Yes. Uh, I will say straight up. I think this is a better movie than Baby Driver for sure. Um, largely because, um, I mean, for, for many reasons, like the technical aspect, as usual, great. Uh, the movie's soundtrack, uh, you know, it's it's like uh, the movie's got a reverence for the swinging 60s, just like our lead character, Eloise, played by Thomas and McKenzie. And that's the other thing, too. The, the two central performances in this movie, Thomas and McKenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy, are great Mackenzie especially um like she's like really oh yeah I feel like really up and coming as like a new as an actress as a young actress like she's great and believe no trace um so if anyone hasn't seen that movie please go check it out uh she was in M. Night Shyamalan's Old which I've sung its praises many times on this podcast <laughs> damn it 
old is good. Um, so uh, she's she's really good in that movie. <laughs> um, the movie is like sumptuously shot. Um, it's uh, the the um, DP is Chung Hoon Chung, who is Park Chan Wook's usual cinematographer, um, who also shot I think as far as American films, he shot the first It as well. Um, so like the movie's got a good eye. Um, it's Edgar Wright. He's even said, you know, Edgar Wright being a huge cinephile, like this is his version of a giallo. So very much like definitely a Dario Argento giallo. Like it's got more dream logic and more like kind of like going off the rails and it kind of asks you to go off the rails with it. And I think that's, and I want to hear what you have to say and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that's where we both come down on this movie. Cause I'm, I'm a huge fan of Giallo. Mm. Like, I, I'd be a massive Italian horror fan. But I think this is one where, like, it asks you to go off the rails with it. And I, I just, I didn't. I just couldn't quite do it. Um, because I think it just, it it posits an interesting premise. Mm. Um, and, and, and a really intoxicating, um, like, aura in order to get you into it. And then, like and by design sort of deconstruct your sort of like enti- like how enticed you are by it mm-hmm. um, because we're just firmly planted in the perspective of our lead character right. and but by then it's just like the movie just gets so i think it's just like it's so tight-knit i feel in the first half that it just it goes too loosey-goosey too wild and too unfocused um to where it, when it comes to a denouement, it just like I was like by the time it got to that point, I was like I I don't I don't know if I like this or not. I'm more exhausted than anything I think. Um, but it's like it's 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 an interesting miss I would say, or or not even a total miss. An interesting mess is what I would like say. Like the movie's a mess, but I think it is at least interesting. Um, but I I, I wish. I don't know. I just wished I, I I'm bummed because on the one hand, because like I root for Edgar Wright, I love that he's branching out and doing different movies. But at the same time, I'm like I don't know. I just am not having been crazy outside of his his comedies. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. It's just a weird. It's a weird feeling. But I, I'll ask you. What did you think of of this movie? I think we're we're in a pretty similar boat. I think it's interesting to note that uh, uh, Edgar Wright, back when he was making Baby Driver, said that Baby Driver is one of the first scripts that he ever wrote. I think he started writing when he when he was in high school, and so when that movie came out, it felt like something that was like a malformed idea from somebody who was late high school, early college, who hadn't quite gotten other full story narratives under their belt yet. It was very much man drives car. People don't want man to drive car, but he drives car, and then that was the movie. And so then that was disappointing about that because the technical craft was amazing, but in the service of a story that was could have been a, a, a short. Um, and I wouldn't say the last night in Soho is the same level because it couldn't be a short. The story that he's telling here is definitely a full narrative. It's just, it's not that successful. And I think, um, uh, you, you uh, said earlier that just because Suspiria is considered a giallo doesn't make it a giallo. You'd probably say it's like a giallo with a, with an asterisk. Um, just because you have bright colors and people are getting stabbed doesn't make it a giallo uh because there's real no black gloved killer in sort of the narrative here um and if you're familiar with the 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 um advertising for the movie or um if you haven't i should probably just read the synopsis i'll just read it straight from uh indb um 
It in, an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. But the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker. So, yeah, girl from the country moves to the big city. After moving to the big city, things aren't what they're cracked up to be. She moves into an apartment away from her um, dormitory uh, where she's been harassed by, um, you know, her contemporaries. And then when she moves into this uh, uh, apartment, she starts having dreams. And when she dreams, she flashes back to the 1960s where she's in the shoes of uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's character, uh, who uh, Sandy. Uh, who is, you know, a groovy chick in the 60s who is trying to be a singer slash actress, um, but very quickly starts to realize that uh, the industry uh, is very predatory and the glitz and the glam that we see on the surface that entices you and pulls you into that world is actually extremely gritty and dirty and seedy and disgusting and terrible underneath, um, which is a not a new story i think it's definitely it's it's back in relevancy because of you know broadly gestures at everything that's going on with the industry uh like nowadays and so i feel like the story still has something to say but i don't feel like this story has something to say i don't feel like it, yeah. it really accomplished what it set out to do with like the premise is great but the story didn't do the service no, I think that's I think that's where it loses it. I, I I'm glad you laid that out because I think we can even like I think we can even kind of like drill that in without like totally spoiling it mm-hmm. for our audience either because I think that it isn't just that the movie goes you know like I said yes Suspiria there's often a debate whether or not the movie's a giallo or not. Um, I don't really care whether it is or it <laughs> isn't, but like, but largely, but it doesn't. It doesn't really have the hallmarks of it, but this one very much fits in the Suspiria vein um, without touching on specifics. Like it is a ghost story of sorts, which like Suspiria is ghosts and witches and Mm -hmm. like all of that. And so it's like it very much draws on that. It's got like harsh, you know, very bright color palette, red and blue, like especially red and blue. Um, But I think like not only does the movie just get crazy and wild with all these sort of like supernatural elements and sort of like what's real and what's not, you know, we're introduced at the beginning to Eloise, her mom died when she was younger, um, that she sort of like, it's never explicitly said, but like she, she sees her like in the mirror or elsewhere from time to time. And so, like, her grandmother even has, like, a, a, a thing of, like, oh, have you, like, seen her in a while? So, like, this was an issue. It's so that's thing. that's yeah. also, that's, like, another issue I have with the movie of, like, how it kind of deals with grief and or mental illness. It's like, mm, I don't know if it's done particularly delicately, no. but okay, I can I can roll with that. Fine. Sure. Um, but I think the, 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 the problem with the second half is not just how crazy it gets. It, it's that it loses that thread. Mm-hmm. That it, it has a really hard time connecting the two stories together in a way that is, like, satisfying. Right. And I think that's that's ultimately, I think, the, the, the downfall of the movie is, like, even though it's like, yeah, the technical stuff is great and the score. I would say Stephen Price's score is another thing I would shout out as a good thing in the movie i i really liked that because to me it actually kind of towed that line between like it would sound like um like it would sound like more like a contemporary like movie score and then it would sound like a a goblin or Mm -hmm. it would sound like um um shoot i'd like the composer's name um 
escaped me at the moment, but he usually worked with Sergio Martino. Like it, it had like that sort of feel to it. Mm-hmm. It would like slip into that. And so I like really appreciated that. But overall, it just like when it gets that blurriness, I, yeah, I, I just don't think it like connects it. Like it, it doesn't connect that in a satisfying way. And it becomes like almost like a detective story, which is also Giallo Hallmark where like someone who's not a detective assumes a detective yeah. role. Um, so like that happens. Um, but like, that's not even that interesting, no. even though there's a weird, well, I don't know if you got felt this. There's a scene where she's in the library looking up like information. Yeah. Yeah, well, it felt like an homage to Ghostbusters. Like, it's, like, the exact same shot, uh, like, when she runs through the stacks. Mm -hmm. Like, the camera maneuvers the exact same as the librarian from the beginning of the movie before she sees the ghost and the the title card comes up. So I was like, hmm, okay. It could (laughs) could have been a purposeful homage. I'd be surprised. I bet. Edgar Wright's, he's very pastiche. It probably was a a deliberate. Like, it it was very clear. I was like, I know that shot. Like, (laughs) 100%. Um... But, like, that's those are the elements that it's just, like, they just don't quite click. No, and I was also going to say, like, Anya Taylor-Joy and uh, 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 Thomas and McKenzie are, like, top build. They are co-leads in the movie. But, like, they very rarely are actually in the same scene. And if they are, it's part of uh, uh, what you've, if you've seen the ads, you've seen some of the cool camera work that they're doing where... They're basically interchanging between shots, uh, but not even actually between shots, like between, like in the shot itself, like one will leave frame, the other one will come in, which they shot a lot of that, like practically in camera, which is yeah. pretty dope. It shows. Yeah, it shows. It's done well. It looks but, really, really no cool. Question. Like it's really, like, yeah. again, like you're right. He knows how to film shit. He knows how to edit shit and it, it, it comes across and shows. But I think it, it was to the detriment of the, the story that, they gave sort of co-equal time to what's happening contemporary, what's happening in the 60s. Instead of leaving uh, uh, Annie Taylor-Joy's character to be a bit more uh, ambiguous as to what's going on with her in the 60s and leaving the detective portion up to uh, Eloise in contemporary times to be the detective, to seek out these things, to talk to more characters, to actually go to the library and find some shit out. Because... As the movie stands, the story spells itself out. And by the time we get back to contemporary times, we don't want to retread those. And so then basically the narrative just pushes Eloise along and she's not actually doing anything. Um, to, other than like seeing horrifying things and screaming at them. But she's not actually detecting. She's not uncovering any of this shit. She's just making a whole lot of assumptions and making an ass out of herself. And so then it it like... It became like a, a an annoyance to me as the movie was going on. Was just like you're not going to let any of the characters actually find anything out and have any revelations themselves. The story's just going to push us to an eventual conclusion. That's a bummer. Mm-hmm. Well, and, it, 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 and it's because the movie. I think you even said it off, mic. So I'll bring it into it's a pacing is also an issue too because when like because in the first. 50 minutes to an hour it's it's isn't like the thread is almost like finding yourself yeah. like here's here like because thomas and mckenzie's character she comes from the country and so like everyone thinks she's weird everyone thinks she's whatever but she's really good at like her 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 fashion like she's like straight a student but she's starting like she has these dreams of sandy and so she like is like oh so she like her fashion is inspired by that she goes shopping and like you know gets clothes that like so it's like the confidence gets boosted Mm -hmm. through this thing like through this vision and through this thing that like she loves dear like the the swing in 60s Mm -hmm. um and 
so it's like that seems like the thread and then it i think like it purposefully detours but then it's like that takes a backseat to this like detective story which like you kind of laid out just like careens to a finish as opposed to actually like yeah being like character driven and so i feel like that's a bummer because all the character driven stuff in the first hour is also really strong right and it just it just gets set aside and it comes back in the final you know what three minutes in the mm-hmm. movie like the final scene in the movie it comes back yeah. but other than that it's like oh uh, this this the you you sidestepped the interesting stuff to go hog wild and it's like i I usually appreciate like going hog wild, but like here I'm like, it didn't work. It didn't work for me. <laughs> well, it wasn't a gradual ramp. Like I was honestly on board with the, uh, I was on board with the first, like, you know, 50 minutes hour of the movie where they were doing that, that portion and introducing the characters. Yeah. Um, I like sort of the fish out of water girl from the country introduced to the big city. She's taken aback by the glitz and the glam. I, I loved how she was introduced to it and, and how, you know, it, it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. She got there and, uh, the, the other girl, um, uh, that she shares a room with, um, Jocasta, um, mm-hmm. played by, uh, Sinove Carlson. I'm really sorry if I butchered that. Um, but she is like. Uh, very much that she's like a one-upper of like oh uh, yeah. uh you you had that well uh i had this the other day and then it has to like show off about it like she just kind of sucks as a human being and so she's like very quickly disillusioned by what she thought was going to be a great experience and so then her escapism is to go back into the 1960s and so i really liked this idea of um nostalgia uh, uh, being escapism from your problems of today, but not only that, but n- but nostalgia for an era that you're way too young to have experienced. It's like right. your parents' nostalgia, really. Like it, it's something that like she's listening to '60s music, she's making '60s fashion, um, loves everything about the '60s, and then I, I loved also uh, when I saw this in the theater. I didn't know it at the time, but uh, it was a 35 millimeter presentation. So when it started, there was no uh, trailers or anything before it. So I loved that. Um, but when the the movie, when she first goes to sleep and wakes up in the 60s, up until that point in the movie, this, the audio had been playing in mono. So it had been playing in direct, just stage speakers down the, down the center. And then when she walks down the alley and then walks out into the big broad street and there's all the traffic and shit is the first time that it opens up to full surround sound in the theater. And uh, I don't know if they presented it that way everywhere, but they did at the 35 millimeter screen that I went to. And it was fucking awesome. Like, and like such a cool, like, Oh, like the, the, you're also taken aback by this whole like wash over feeling of like sensory overload of like, Holy shit. What is right. this? And um, it's great. The thunderball is on, I was going to mention on the that. theater. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I was, it was great to see it, but also because Diana Rigg is in the movie, uh, she's like the the landlady, and Diana Rigg was on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, she was a former yep. Bond girl. So, but then also like, uh, Bond is kind of like old Bond is kind of a piece of shit. Like he's slapping women around. He's a womanizer. He like stands for the ultimate and masculinity sort of thing. So it plays into the narrative and sort of the the tone of the movie as well. But. Uh, sort of having this whole presentation up front of like okay i'm getting your themes i'm understanding what you're doing you're building this character let's see where you go with it and the second half of the movie feels like a completely different movie and then it flips into a scooby-doo sort of 
uh, sort of narrative where like they drop all pretense of like trying to be deep or anything. It's all just in in really in favor of like the visual presentation of the movie, which again looks great, but it just drops yeah. all pretense of trying to build up Mackenzie's character. She then from that point on is just washed along with the plot. Yeah, it, it it really does fizzle when it when it should be ramping up. It like the story fizzles, and you're just left with like a, a sort of like cacophony. And it's like, yeah, it's well made, and you know, like I said, it's very pastiche. Edgar Wright, obviously, being a huge cinephile, you know, I mentioned the Ghostbusters shot. There's also the uh, they use the uh, I mean, they use split the op diopter yeah. shots quite a bit. They use the uh, like that honeycomb kind of shot that like i most know from all the colors of the dark oh yeah sergio martino um edwick fennich giallo movie so it's like that that happens in it um i was gonna say so so you mentioned thunderball which was great um but then it's like the plot of like oh this sort of era you're nostalgic for that you weren't even alive for like maybe isn't all it's cracked up to be so like the swinging 60s and it being like sort of misogynist i thought you know naturally and then with thunderball i was thinking of austin powers i was like so this is like austin powers basically like all this roads, time period all roads leave all to austin, leave to austin powers, powers. <laughs> Well, and then in Baby Driver, if you remember, there's mm-hmm. the, there's that Austin Powers joke with the masks. So, what I'm saying is, if if Austin Powers four ever gets made, and inevitably it probably Dude, will, Edgar Wright should direct. I it. would watch the shit out of an Edgar Wright directed Austin Powers. That'd be amazing. <laughs> that would be that would be amazing. I think it should happen. Somebody out there should be listening. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see him partner again with Simon Pegg uh, because I mean the the scripts that they wrote for the Cornetto trilogy are. are fantastic yep uh and we know that he like he's even when he's doing these movies that are supposed to have a more serious tone and he he brings in the same kinetic energy of the motion of the camera moving into uh cuts that are match on action and and they're 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 very well constructed but even when we're dealing with more serious subject matter they play for comedy and and yes I like I try and look past it because it, this, most of the time they are just really cool constructed shots. There's a there's a scene in um in her apartment where uh, she's seeing ghosts and seeing and again I'm trying not to get into spoilers here, but she is seeing ghosts, seeing terrible things happening, and she like gets up and she runs into her bathroom to like get away from what she's seeing. And it's done in sort of a smooth motion, like you know tracking across the room through the door, and like it's sort of like. It, it, it's just a very clean, well-constructed shot that any other director would have done in a series of camera on sticks. This angle, this angle, this angle, we'll cut it together and, and, and the audience will get it. But the fact that it's Edgar Wright, he had to construct it. He had to choreograph it to have this smooth motion, which I appreciate. But when you're dealing with a serious subject matter and I see it like that, it, it almost comes off with a comedic timing to it to where I don't feel any terror. I'm more like impressed yeah. by like the like wow that was a really well constructed shot, but I'm not like oh that was really like tense and I'm really glad that scene's over and I don't know if that's just me being an asshole but like that's how I felt in the theater which is like this isn't hitting me in a scary way. I I think that's a valid point uh, and, and I don't know it's like and I don't know if it's chicken and the egg situation right I don't know if that's because he sure. started in comedy and he and he made his style there and his style is so unique for comedies especially yeah. um and you know, i just associate it with like, it exactly yeah or or if it is just like or if it is a problem right i don't know but i i can say you're not alone i think i feel similarly with that um 
and I don't know if it's the way it's shot or if it's just because the story the story is abandoned like the story yeah. your through line is abandoned halfway through this movie and so I don't know I don't know if what the if it's the style or if it's just that in this particular case it's just abandoned mm-hmm. and therefore it's just it doesn't hit it doesn't hit as well because the dramatic underpinnings are not as strong or right. they are again abandoned yeah and it, it's a shame and and i think yeah i i think we can probably get into into closing here of saying that even with all that said i would still recommend watching the movie i think i, I think it's still yes. a perfectly enjoyable movie it's the same situation we were talking about just just you know earlier about uh uh, uh, uh wes anderson that even when he misses the craft at least is like up to a level that you're not going to see many directors ever get to in their careers. Like there, there's shit that's going on in last night in Soho. Like there's some great shots. There's some very well-constructed scenes, some great performances, honestly. Um, it's just yep. for me, it didn't live up to that level story wise. And, but I still think I, I probably will rewatch it at some point. I will too. Just to see, you know, usually watching an Edgar Wright movie, He'll put in like little uh, bits and pieces here, like watching rewatching the Cornetto trilogy. I still catch jokes that I have like not caught before, and it's like my fifteenth time seeing the movie, and I'm like, oh shit, I didn't catch that. That's hilarious. So I'm expecting exactly. there's probably something like that in in Last Night in Soho, and when it's out, I'll probably watch it again, um, just for the purpose of of this week's episode. It's my my least favorite of the three, unfortunately. Yeah, that's that's for sure. But but like you said, I will rewatch it as well. I'm right there in the same camp with you, which is at least more than I can say for Baby Driver because I've had no I've not come back and watched it whatsoever. Nope. So um, so at least this one, I'm like, I want to dig in a little further and see if I missed something. Yep. So I'm right there with you. Um, well, yeah. So before we wrap up proper, I was just gonna quick hit a couple movies. Yeah, I, I feel like I was at the theater like three times a week all of this last couple like month and a half so a couple things i i saw that you didn't get a chance to see or didn't care to see nope. or at least didn't care to see in this first instance is venom let there nope. be carnage uh yeah no it's uh i mean it's better than the first one I'll, I'll say that um but it's it's people like these venom movies man and i just i i you like what you like i'm not judging i just there, there's few instances where i go i don't get it but the venom movies are one of those where i'm like i don't get mm-hmm. it like to me having that on your cv as being a fan of it is like liking i don't know like the fantastic four movies from the mid 2000 or like daredevil or <laughs> electra Lantern. like yeah electra like it's it, like it to me it's like it, it, this movie's out of time not in a good way like it's so <laughs> dated this one at least i feel like because the first one's a generic ass like origin story mm. crap but it's got like a bonkers tom hardy performance weird body horror stuff especially when eddie brock and venom become symbiotic Mm. and so this one like leans much more into that weird flop sweaty vaudevillian comedy that's in the first one like this movie's almost a straight up comedy i would say but it's like it's almost like a be careful what you wish for where like i left the first one going like i wish there was more of that and then this one is more of that i was like wait no 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 no, 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 we went too far go back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> too too far um but it's like it's short at least it's like 90 minutes like it's super short um it's it's watchable but it's just it's just stupid like uh, like tom hardy's having a good time but it's just stupid and 
God, and Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy is, yeah. like, bad. Like, a bad, bad casting choice. <laughs> I have not seen the Venom movies, but I am a fan of the Spider-Man comics from uh, a young age. And and seeing a, a standalone Venom movie that doesn't include a Spider-Man, like, like, confused me to the point where I didn't want to bother watching it. But then seeing them move on to the Carnage storyline immediately afterwards, and again, still no Spider-Man, is just like the fuck you doing if we're gonna be making these like big triple a title movies why not adapt the badass comics that had these characters in them well and that the thing is it could have used it because uh you know i think i don't know if we've talked about it on mic or off uh for forgive me listeners but like to me they're like the trope of like the hero or anti-hero i guess in eddie brock venom's case but like the the hero fighting a villain who's basically the same as them Mm -hmm. is like boring as shit like i i hate that trope yeah like the the hulk movie yeah so like venom fighting carnage without a spider-man in there is like oh, whatever it's also like the first one because they fight some other symbiote in the first i don't even remember his fucking name it's riz ahmed who's the villain i just don't remember the the character's name but it's just like it's just like a globby big globby <laughs> goopy just <laughs> eyesore um <laughs> But it's just, it's whatever. Um, some <laughs> Final words there? It's, it's whatever. It's ah, whatever. Moving on. It's all right. Moving <laughs> on. I, I can't hate it too much because it was my, it was my, my wife and I's uh, first date movie in the theater since Knives Out almost two years ago. Um, we went to a wedding and so we had a night without the kiddo and we were, my, my wife was like, let's, let's go to a movie. Like, what's the next thing starting? And because all the movies are long as shit, like at least all the good movies, like Dune and No Time to Die, and the next movie I'm going to talk about, um, were all like two and a half hours or in excess of two and a half hours. So it was like there was either like a five o'clock or like a nine o'clock. <laughs> and so we're like, no, we can't, we're not going to do that. And But then like Venom was at like 730. <laughs> I was like, uh, we could go see Venom. <laughs> so worth it so it was it was okay i mean it was nice it, like the movie's terrible but it was yeah, nice sure. so so that was good um uh, a movie that was I, I maybe not nice but it was phenomenal is the last duel uh i was gonna say the latest film from ridley scott but that only stands still for about two more weeks mm. until how to gucci comes out but um but yeah, the people slept hard on this movie, man. Like it made like no money, and it's a damn shame. I think it's his best movie since like Black Hawk Down. I would say, um, essentially, I mean, it's not a fun watch. It's like set in the Crusades, mm-hmm. and it's it's basically it's basically Rashomon with uh, essentially it's like the perspective of three different people who are participated in in a a lewd horrible act. Um, and so we see it from three different characters perspectives. Um, it's, it's an outstanding to me, like I haven't watched killing Eve, so forgive me, but like, uh, it's outstanding breakthrough performance for Jodie Comer. Who's just, I think phenomenal in this movie. Um, but it also has Matt Damon, Adam driver, Ben Affleck, uh, who Damon and Affleck co-wrote the script with, uh, Nicole Hall of center of please give and enough said Mm -hmm. among many other things. Um, yeah dude this movie's a bruiser like damn it's it's fantastic um and i think it's hitting digital i want to say like the end of november here so it'll be accessible to people pretty quickly 
and I really highly recommend. And even though it's like it's Rashomon for both of it, but like the titular last duel is like one of the best action scenes Ridley Scott has ever done. Like on top of this being a layered, nuanced, like acid tongue drama, it's like it's a it's gnarly. Like it, it's it's actual like straight jousting fight to the death in the mud and the dirt it's like oh my god it's phenomenal Fuck yeah into it yeah 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 so that's great i recommend that another movie i recommend heartily is spencer mm-hmm. um the latest film from pablo lorraine who uh admittedly i mean it's a safe space here i haven't seen any of pablo lorraine's other movies um admittedly i didn't see jackie from a couple years ago the jackie kennedy uh film with natalie uh, portman, natalie portman. Yeah. Yeah, which I heard was great. I, I just never got a chance to see it. Um, but uh, this one is about uh, Princess Diana, who's played by Kristen Stewart, who's just phenomenal. Like, absolute, like, transformative performance. And maybe it's be my unfamiliarity with Lorraine's filmography. Like, I would have saw, like, a Princess Diana movie and would have you know, just, unfortunately, the way that biopics are, you know, structured, I would have thought maybe something like The King's Speech would have mm-hmm. been, like, the movie that came to mind. Uh, movies that reminded me of that I did not expect include, but are not limited to, The Shining and Black Swan. Um, from like how firmly it puts you in Diana's perspective, it's um, it's never said when it's set, but it, it, we can we can suspect it's a few some a few years somewhere before she passed away, mm-hmm. um, and it's essentially over like three days around Christmas time. And just essentially of, like, the walls closing in, it's very, like, perspective, like, POV of just, like, what's actually happening versus what she's seeing and just feeling, like, really ostracized by the royal family, which, I mean, that's basically the moral of this movie is the royal family suck, which we all know that mm-hmm. anyway. Um, but it's it's just absolute, like, incendiary filmmaking. Um, and, and most importantly, the score of the movie as well, which is done by Johnny Greenwood uh, of Radiohead mm-hmm. and have done pretty much every paul thomas anderson movies from there will be blood on um also a phenomenal movie that if if you have the means definitely check it out in a theater it's it's and it's just beautifully done in incredible work. oh yeah um and then lastly not so incredible work unfortunately uh, a movie that um against my sort of like feelings of its franchise i was really excited for because of his filmmaker but i saw eternals um and it is appropriately titled because I feel like I'm still watching the movie. Uh, and I watched <laughs> it's like four nights ago now. Oh man. Um, <laughs> that was really good. It's, oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, no, it's a shame because like, you know, we talked about our mid-year catch-up. We talked about Nomadland pretty extensively. Big fan of Chloe Zhao's work. Um, was really excited to see what she did and and it's just very clear watching this movie that the Marvel template is so lockstep that like even someone trying to do something different out of it like you get kind of suckered back into like the template of it which is almost makes the movie more frustrating and it also makes it frustrating because it's super long it's like the second longest MCU movie after um, Endgame which like Endgame it's like that was your 10 year accumulation story you could afford to be three hours long i i can i understand i will forgive that but these are like 12 fucking mopey ass superheroes who i've never heard of who stand around in a beach for two hours and 40 minutes 
why am I watching right. this? <laughs> it's it's unfortunate. It's just like it the movie's really dull. It's uh surprisingly the better version of it would be something like Zack Snyder's Justice League of like the story of basically like gods living among humans and that sort of like weight as opposed to like humans with extraordinary capabilities or whatever the case may be. Um and so like there's interesting ideals and like I uh, you know about characters who's like who've been around earth since bc and so therefore they are sort of the basis of various mythologies that have been cemented into like culture like uh angelina jolie's character is named thena but like athena is like really modeled after her or um uh not john snow he's in the movie too but the other the other stark the boring one um <laughs> isn't it and he plays icarus uh richard madden's the actor's okay. name that's what his rob name. stark um rob stark yes 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 <laughs> i don't know i can't keep my I wish you could forget. (laughs) But um, he plays Icarus, which, you know, he's... And he's obviously... It's also funny, speaking of Zack Snyder's Justice League, it's like, I don't... I don't care about Marvel versus DC, so anybody listening, don't try and make it a mountain out of a molehill here. But the maneuvers of this character are the exact same as Superman's in Man of Steel. Like, they're the... uh, Like, the snap zoom, uh, like, punches... And, like, the laser eyes, and it's, like, almost the exact same, almost VFX render. And so, I was like, no, that's okay. Like, yeah, yes. I mean, they're both, him and Henry Cavill are both boring white dudes who look alike, so that probably was easy to just, (laughs) sorry, I'm coming down hard on this movie. (laughs) Did did they CGI over his mustache? (laughs) No. No? Oh, okay. What a shame. (laughs) Um... Yeah, it's just a bummer because like I, I I feel bad. I mean, Chloe Zhao, I'm sure is going to be fine. Like yeah. she's it's 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 got some of her hallmarks in it. I just think like the Marvel formula, even working against it, almost made the movie almost worked against the movie more than than like had it been more like a traditional Marvel movie, yeah. which is weird to say, but it just like it just felt really like sluggish and dull and like even the audience, which like. You go see an MCU movie, it's like everyone's like laughing and having a good time. They're jovial. And it's like, I even felt like the audience were like, kind of like, eh, I think I like this. Like, mm-hmm. people didn't seem super into it. So, oh, I, I, I saw know. like four movies in the theater in the last month. And it, in front of each one of them was the Eternals trailer. And every time they got to that, uh, what is this table made out of vibranium? And he breaks it in half. And he's like, you know, fall collection, Ikea. It's a joke, I think. But like, not a not a stir, not a not a sound, not even a cough out of the audience. All four times I saw it in the theater, it was just like, I sort of like knew then. Where it's just like, you usually put something in the trailer that gets something out of your audience, and the fact that like no one's reacting to anything that's happening right now, I don't know if yeah. this is going to be any good. Yeah, and you're largely right, and it's also weird how like I don't know, it's even weirder in the context of the whole thing of like these cosmic beings Mm. of like okay well we've had these like crazy cosmic adventures with like the guardian of the galaxy and like thanos and captain marvel even so i'm like where were these fuckers the whole time like right (laughs) seems weird every every time that seems weird that's one of the things that people say about the mcu movies anyways where it's like in the standalone movies when there's a uh, a world threatening cataclysmic event where it's just like spider-man uh why don't you get somebody on the horn? Uh, like literally yeah. any of the Avengers, they, they'll they'll come help you, right? 
Yeah, it's super weird. It's so bizarre. And and it's like you could even see them sort of straining to sort of write reasons mm. for it. And you're just like, that, that, you just anybody, literally anybody. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. I, it's, a, it's also it's, just a unique problem, I, I guess, like a, a lot of, uh, in comic books, you know, there are not only like there's multiple universes like you have amazing and yeah. infinite and spectacular and like all the different universes that you can throw together for a character and so i mean i, I think that's one of the things about the new spider-man movie that i'm actually excited about that's coming up is the like the multiverse and so like if we can introduce right. the multiverse and like go do some weird shit um that's really i think the next direction to take it because i think if like the next phase of the marvel movies is another ramp up to another end game I think people already sort of have like superhero fatigue and I think Eternals sort of yeah. shows that like you can throw all the flashy images up there and world ending, you know, scenarios and, and Superman characters and stuff that you want. We've seen 30 of these by now. Like you got to change the formula. <laughs> like the audiences are exactly. tired Exactly. And it's like, there's different flavors. I mean, um, by default of like the three MCU movies this year, Shang-Chi is the better of mm-hmm. the three. Um, just by sheer virtue of having a good like first hour, it's pretty generic in its second hour, but at least introduces concepts, which is more I can say for Eternals and Black Widow. Yeah. So, you know, uh, at least has that going for it. But um, but that's it. That's our catch up. And um, yeah, before we sign out proper, Chris next week they're your picks oh, yeah what are we talking oh, about boy. i'm excited about next week's episode next week we're going to talk about body swaps and uh just a, a quick spoiler we're not going to talk about freaky friday uh or what was that new one with vince vaughn freaky freaky, freaky. Oh, okay. which is fun you should see freaky if you haven't but, but we're not talking about uh, it we're not talking about it yes we're also not going to talk but about i'm excited the hot chick because uh we decided well we were going to talk about the hot chick but then we found something even worse, if you can believe that. Uh, worse, but more interesting to talk about. We'll leave it. Y- yeah, I guess. <laughs> the hot chick would not be interesting no, to talk miserable. about. So I'm glad. I'm I'm glad we we decided against that. But uh, in the meantime, you can find all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, and many others. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at thegoodbadwhat. And you can email us at thegoodthebadthewhat at gmail.com. If you're feeling generous and want to support the show, we have a donations tab on our website, and all donations will go back into the show, whether that's to offset the cost of running movies that we discuss or upgrading our equipment. Our logo comes from Michelle Parkos, and our theme music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you could find in the show notes respectively. Chris, where can more people find you online? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at thochristo89 or on Letterboxd at C underscore T-H-O-M. And you can follow me on Twitter at Riley90, that's R-Y-O-L-L-I-E 90, or you can follow me on Letterboxd at Ryan underscore Oliver. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with Body Swaps. Mm-hmm.